disgusting. Filthy human being. You're a filthy human being. You're disgusting. Anti-vaccine mandate protesters block access to the U.S. border and journalists trying to cover the demonstration. We are not investigating this as an injunction breach. Uh, This is a career criminal act. The RCMP's new tone on its coastal gas link attack investigation and our close-up look at the damage. Plus... I don't care how I get my daughter back. I want her back. A Victoria mother's plea for the safe return of her seven-year-old who was reported missing nearly a month ago. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. One of the busiest commercial truck border crossings in the country is once again closed tonight, shut down by anti-mandate protesters who swarmed the route leading to the Pacific Highway crossing. Kamil Karmali has more on that and an earlier encounter between demonstrators and counter-demonstrators in East Vancouver. The chants were loud, the message clear. And the COVID-19 mandates now. Hundreds packed into this intersection on the Pacific Highway, shutting down the border crossing Saturday. Um, We have stepped up our enforcement here. We've stepped up the amount of vehicles that we see because we do want to make sure that we can keep this area safe. And it was relatively peaceful. If you don't count the verbal assaults and threats. You're a disgrace to your country. You're a goof. You're far from tough. Many protesters didn't want to be interviewed. Some took part in civil dialogue. What can you tell people who are showing a midfinger the chapter of rights? But others decided to resort to name-calling and threats against police. Just give me some space. And media. Disgusting. Filthy human being. You're a filthy human being. You're disgusting. The crowd following us back to our vehicle, yelling slurs, hateful rhetoric. Blocking our way out, one man spits at our window before police clear the crowd, allowing us to drive away. Other media outlets weren't immune. The CBC's reporter and camera operator also verbally accosted. It was only earlier this week police made multiple arrests in the exact same spot, clearing the access to the border crossing. This new convoy traveling from across BC, standing in solidarity with the anti-mandate rallies in Ottawa. The group made a pit stop in East Van earlier en route to the border crossing, going toe-to-toe with a protest against the truck convoy rallies in Ottawa. Get out of town. Is that the message you got? For for the convoy, yes. It's heartbreaking to me as somebody who is in the disabled and chronically ill community when these people tell me that my life doesn't matter, sick people will get sick anyways. So far, no arrests at this rally. Police say they will continue to monitor the situation. Kamala Kramali, Global News. And anti-mandate protesters also tried to target Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth, demonstrating outside his lower mainland home. The group reportedly showed up on his doorstep before officers were called and moved them off of the property. And to the Okanagan now, where rallies in solidarity with the trucker convoy protests were also held today. In Kelowna, there was a large demonstration at Stewart Park. Vehicles circled the downtown core with people honking horns and waving signs. These protests have been a regular occurrence in the region, but since the truckers' convoy to Parliament Hill, they have become larger demonstrations against the COVID-19 mandates. 
And one of the other main protests in the region for the past three weeks has been the Asuyas border crossing. And as Yasmin Gandam reports, once again, demonstrators there targeted the media. Another weekend, another protest at the Asoyas border, but the protests looked a little different this weekend with more of a police presence in comparison to past convoys here in the Okanagan. Horns honking and cars adorned with Canadian flags, holding signs condemning Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and signs opposing COVID restrictions and vaccine mandates. RCMP spoke with us off camera and said they do anticipate fireworks tonight, but are just doing their best to ensure public safety and keeping the roads open for traffic. Officers added border traffic remains low this time of year, but police will remain on site to ensure the border is not blocked. In doing our best to cover this story, we experienced abuse from protesters who called us fake news and insulted our appearance. One protester even spit on me. It appears that the people that are gathering for these rallies are displaying increasingly aggressive behavior towards the media. Yasmin Gandam, Global News. The Civil Liberties Association is suing the federal government after the Prime Minister invoked the Emergencies Act earlier this week. It's in response to large protests and blockades launched against COVID-19 measures and restrictions. The act, which was passed in 1988, authorizes the federal government to take extraordinary temporary measures to respond to public welfare and public order emergencies. The association believes implementing the order was an excessive move by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. What we're concerned about is that they're normalizing the use of an Emergencies Act when ordinary acts that were created through the democratic process are adequate. While politicians debate the need for emergency measures to handle weeks of protests in Ottawa, police stepped up their enforcement to clear the streets of demonstrators. Sean O'Shea reports from the nation's capital. Day two of the police effort to reclaim Ottawa's streets. Officers moving in as protesters backed up. At one point, police say a protester set off a flare and officers responded with pepper spray. Those who got hit tried to wipe away the sting as officers kept moving and making arrests. So far today, we've arrested 47 people. That brings the total so far to 170. Now they're lined up over here with an armored vehicle and a line of heavy horse behind it. Police horses were back for a second day, along with tactical and riot officers, as some truckers sounded determined. Whatever they're doing is not right. We stand our ground. We're not leaving. But police had worked through the night to tow away vehicles, large and small, an operation that continued through the day. And despite roadblocks and warnings from police to stay away, some brought their children into the downtown. This is dangerous and is putting young children at risk. This man says he wanted his children to see it, saying the police action isn't right. I'm really glad that people do, and I, I hope I teach my kids that, that they can't just follow things without question. Others say the three-week-long protest was all about trying to get the government to listen to their issues. We don't speak tear gas. We don't speak baton. We don't speak horse. We speak English and French. With more trucks to move out, Ottawa's police chief says he can't say when that job will be finished. But checkpoints, barriers and officers on the street will be here for a while. The core of the city looking nothing like normal, 
but trucks, one by one, are either being driven out or towed out. Either way, residents told us they're just glad the trucks are leaving. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Ottawa. Vancouver police deployed to the front lines in Ottawa. Chief Adam Palmer tweeting this image of public safety unit officers near the National War Memorial. They've been active in the city over the past two days. Officers have been sent to the capital from across the country. Riot police also in the capital from Sudbury, Ontario, the RCMP, Montreal and mounted police from Toronto. We are getting a closer look tonight at the damage done following a violent attack on a controversial coastal gas link pipeline worksite outside of Houston in north central BC. Our Ahmad Agahi was at the site today and joins us live from Houston with more. So Ahmad, what's the latest from police? Well, for a couple of days now, Nithu, RCMP investigators from across the province have been gathering here in Houston and neighboring Smithers. And today we had a first-hand look at some of the evidence they are working with. The worksite is remote. More than 60 kilometers of service road separate this natural gas pipeline construction zone from Houston in B.C.'s Bulkley Valley, where police are gathering this weekend in large number to investigate an incident they call a clear criminal act. There's a clear escalation of violence. Uh, this was in the middle of the night. This is a co- coordinated effort um, by multiple people. The RCMP and Coastal Gaslink, the company building this pipeline, say the alleged attack happened shortly after midnight on Thursday. It's claimed around 20 people dressed in camouflage and masks, carrying power tools and an axe, confronted nine overnight workers at the site. Those workers fled for their own safety and according to the pipeline company, the attackers stormed onto the site, hijacking heavy equipment to cause an estimated $6 million in damage to machinery and infrastructure. Now, as police were trying to make their way to the work site, which is about 20 kilometers down the road here, they say they found this big yellow school bus blocking the roadway in what they believe was an attempt to slow down the response. RCMP also say the alleged attackers impeded the responding officers with smoke canisters, burning logs, and booby traps. One officer was injured, but no arrests were made. How did the attackers get away if there was just one road to come in? So there's, from my understanding, there's several trail systems that are uh, in uh, off of the side roads and offshoots. It was dark. <laughs> From blockades to injunctions and arrests, the project has been through a myriad of pipeline disputes. But Saturday, RCMP told us there's no evidence yet connecting this to previous protest movements. This despite what appears to be clear anti-pipeline graffiti on a damaged trailer. A video statement from Coastal Gaslink, the company's VP of Project Delivery, says it has agreements with 20 elected First Nations along its route. Uh, the project is fully permitted um, and, and we have the, the right to complete this project. We're over 60% done um, and we are fully committed to seeing this thing through. But here in Wet'suwet'en, hereditary leadership has previously opposed this pipeline. In a statement, Chief Namak tells Global News, we simply do not have enough information to make any comments. He says all we know is no arrests or charges and harassment of our camps continue. The government and industry, they need to support the Wet'suwet'en on establishing and creating a democratic decision-making process for projects that are coming down in the future. This has been the problem. 
Now, tonight, the RCMP are saying that they're investigating this alleged attack as a criminal act and not a breach of injunction, which they have previously been enforcing today. Uh, RCMP also saying they've obtained video from the construction site and they may release it if it helps further inve- the investigation in the future, Nithu. All right, great work out there tonight. That's Amadagahi live in Houston, B.C. Some members of a hard-hit B.C. First Nation community near Merritt are finally home this weekend, more than 90 days after being forced out by the November atmospheric rivers. In the last two months, you know, uh, we haven't been sitting around waiting. We've been working every day. Shackin Indian Band Chief Arnold Lampro says staff have been working day and night to inspect properties, deal with fridges and hot water tanks that froze, and recommission wells. 45 properties were put under an evacuation order on November 15th. On Thursday, it was downgraded to an alert for homes on the north side of the river. But about seven properties, including Chief Arnold Lampro's, are still not safe enough to return to. He is thanking the provincial government for its support in rebuilding sections of Highway 8 that were destroyed and says the focus is shifting to ensuring infrastructure can better handle future washouts. It hasn't changed anywhere as far as the geographical, you know, geography of the road. It's back in the same place. Only thing is, is riprap is underneath it now, you know, and, and so... Uh, I guess there's still lots of uh, work to be done by the province and and, uh, everybody involved as far as how the hydrology is and and, uh, how how those rocks are going to change the the courses of the river in the future. A 25-year-old Vancouver man was stabbed on the Granville Strip overnight as crowds gathered amid relaxed pandemic restrictions. Police say thousands packed the Granville Entertainment District Friday as capacity limits were lifted at bars and restaurants. Shortly before 2 a.m., officers intervened in a violent assault near Smythe Street after a man was stabbed. The critically injured victim underwent emergency surgery and is expected to survive. A 21-year-old Surrey man was arrested. Police say the attack does not appear to be completely random or unprovoked, and officers will continue patrols through the long weekend. A man was found with gunshot wounds at Coquitlam early this morning. Coquitlam RCMP say they received a report of shots being fired in the 2990 block of Gordon Avenue overnight. Then, just after 2.30 a.m., officers stopped a vehicle being driven erratically and found the injured man along Lougheed Highway. He was rushed to hospital in serious condition. Police believe those involved in the shooting did not know, did rather know each other and there is no risk to the public. Anyone with information and or footage of the incident are asked to contact Coquitlam RCMP. The Vancouver Police Department, which has no vaccine mandate, says more than 97 percent of all staff are now fully vaccinated against COVID-19. The VPD's more than 400 civilian members and close to 1,350 sworn officers were required to declare their vaccination status by December 31st. Vancouver police say the fewer than 3% of staff who are not fully vaccinated are now paying for their own rapid testing to ensure they're fit for duty. The Vancouver Police Board made the policy decision. Other police forces in B.C., including RCMP, West Vancouver Police and the new Surrey Police Service, require officers to be fully immunized. After the break, desperate for her daughter. She's literally my world everything to me. A Vancouver Island mother speaks out nearly a month after her daughter was reported missing with her father. Plus, 
These cases, they don't just close, they do stay open until we know what happened. After four years, a BC couple continues their search for answers on their son's disappearance. Monday marks one month since a Vancouver Island mother has been waiting for the court-ordered return of her daughter. Violet and her father, Jesse Bennett, have been the subject of several RCMP alerts and police believe he is evading contact in order to keep the child from her mother, who is growing increasingly worried. Kristen Robinson reports. Sassy and extremely likable. She's literally my world. She's everything to me. Roger Hall says people line up to look after her seven-year-old daughter. To the point where I didn't really ever have to pay for babysitters. You're so cute. But Hall says she hasn't seen Violet Bennett since January 2nd. My life is definitely a lot darker without my light in it. On January 20th, a joint custody agreement ordered Violet's father, Jesse Bennett, to return her to her mother that day. At that time, I assumed that once we went to court, he would just follow the enforcement. Violet never came home, and when Hull says Jesse stopped responding to her text messages, she called RCMP. I want to believe that she's safe, but at the end of the day, I, I don't know because I don't even know where she is. Police believe Jesse, who lives in the Cowichan Valley, may be driving a 2001 black Dodge Dakota pickup with a white canopy. Oh, gotta go. Hall suspects her daughter is being withheld because she refused to agree to take her out of school in a dispute over mask mandates. Why did Violet's father not want her in school at this point? Because she had to wear a mask. And he doesn't believe that she should wear a mask. Banana! <laughs> Hall just wants her daughter back. I keep looking. I go outside and I just kind of hope that one day he's just sitting there so and he doesn't even get, he doesn't even have to get out the car. Just, you know, let Violet out. Kristen Robinson, Global News. It has been just over four years Ryan Stuka disappeared from Sun Peaks Resort and his family returned to Kamloops to mark the anniversary. What happened to Stuka remains a mystery. The 20-year-old from Beaumont, Alberta vanished without a trace a few months after moving to B.C. to work at Sun Peaks. Stuka was last seen in the early hours of February 17, 2018, leaving a house party at the resort. An exhaustive search and rescue effort turned up nothing. Police say there is no evidence he left Sun Peaks. Heather and Scott Stuka spent the past week at the resort remembering their son and participating in the run for Ryan. To do the run for Ryan, I, Scott and I look at it as this opportunity to spend the day doing something that Ryan loved doing. Continue his le legacy as well. Yeah, yeah. We can't forget that he loved it up here and right. his, this was his second home. These cases, they don't just close, they do stay open until we know what happened to Ryan. Kamloops RCMP say their investigation into his disappearance is ongoing. And still ahead, the deepening Ukraine crisis. We have the latest amid calls for a resolution from that country as the U.S. warns of consequences if Russia invades. Plus, what scientists are calling a breakthrough treatment and a possible cure for HIV. Dude, a helicopter just went down to Miami. Oh. 
Two people had to be rushed to hospital when their helicopter crashed this afternoon. Miami police releasing this footage of the chopper in its fateful descent. As you can see, the beach is crowded, the water very busy, and the chopper splashes down just meters from where people are swimming. There were three people on board. They are all in stable condition. Luckily, no swimmers were injured. The National Transportation Safety Board will try to piece together why the helicopter crashed. Ukraine remains in the crosshairs of a possible conflict surrounded by Russian troops and facing domestic threats from separatists. As Reggie Cicchini explains, Ukraine's leader is calling for a diplomatic solution, which has so far failed to surface. Amid an uptick in aggressive behavior throughout breakaway regions of Ukraine that have led to a mobilization to arm some residents, there's growing concern that Russia could trigger an attack at a moment's notice, something U.S. President Joe Biden cautioned on Friday, arguing intelligence suggests Russia's Vladimir Putin has made a decision. Some of that comes from what appears to be false flag operations in the rebel-held Donbass region and allegations that Ukraine's military is violating a ceasefire agreement, propping up a Kremlin message of an assault on ethnic Russians. That could be seen as a pretext for invasion. We know, we've seen that uh, the Russians do this. They're looking for a justification, looking for some rationale um, that, would, that would allow them to tell the Russian people and to try to convince the world that there is some reason for this invasion. America's former ambassador to Ukraine, William Taylor, tells me an invasion would make Russia a global pariah. Still, the threat is a concern for NATO allies and G7 nations, which defend Ukraine's sovereign rights, promising logistical, military, and financial aid while still pushing for a diplomatic end. But Ukraine is also kidding back at NATO's hesitancy to allow membership, despite saying the door is open. Ukraine says it wants a timeline on the table to being in the alliance, saying it would bring more strategic defense, but it could also drive the wedge further between Russia and the West. Ukraine's president is also still urging calm across his country, understanding the toll that this is taking as more nations are telling residents to leave and some airlines start canceling services. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. In Health Matters, a new study reveals just how much of an impact eating habits could have on your lifespan. Charmin Samani has more on the study and what nutritionists think of the results. In a world where takeout and processed food is so readily available, many find it difficult to eat healthy. But a new study published in the PLOS Medicine Journal finds eating a healthier diet could add up to 13 years to your life. By eating properly or eating well, having a healthful diet, yes, so you can improve kind of the quality of your life as well. So that's how it extends years to your lifespan. The study asked people to switch from a Western diet, more focused on red meat and processed food, to a more optimized diet. Reducing red and processed meat intake and increasing fruits, vegetables, legumes, whole grains, and nuts. When women age 20 switched to the optimized diet, the study found they increased their longevity by over 10 years and men by up to 13 years. Certain foods that this diet promotes really increases, you know, your quality of life. It prevents diseases and it reduces inflammation. This optimized diet is commonly known as the Mediterranean diet and involves eating more whole foods. Having foods in its whole form, when we eat foods that are, you know, so nutrient dense, so I'm talking about a lot of 
vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, fiber. This gives us information to our body, to our cells, so they can work better. Dietitian Nazima Qureshi agrees. Incorporating, you know, more fruits and vegetables, less processed food, less processed meats, um, such as deli meat, that will definitely help you have um, better health outcomes. But she says being healthy involves more than just a diet. You know, their income, their living conditions, uh, their education, you know, their health status, their accessibility to kind of the health services as well. So these are all multiple factors that will impact kind of a person's health uh, and also essentially their lifespan as well. But Qureshi says healthy eating is a vital and an effective way to start at any age. So you don't have to flip your life upside down, adding a salad to your dinner um, every night or, you you know, having more home cooked meals, uh, maybe deleting those those apps off your phone and, and switching to more home cooked meals, um, or even swapping your sugary beverages to water. And for people who regularly eat ethnic food, you don't have to give up your cultural foods, right? That is probably the biggest misconception. There's many ways to incorporate the cultural foods and tastes that you love. Uh, it could be, you know, different ways of cooking or portion size. Charmin Samani, Global News. Scientists in New York are cautiously optimistic about a possible cure for HIV, the retrovirus that causes AIDS. American researchers used a new method of transplanting stem cells they hope could be given to dozens of people every year. A woman has joined a small group of people whose recovery is providing researchers with roadmaps to beat the virus. According to scientists at New York Presbyterian while Cornell Medical Center, the woman has not shown any signs of HIV infections since she stopped treatment for the virus in October of 2020 and following the transplant. And coming up next, a new Terry Fox tribute. A look at the eight-story mural being created to honor the Marathon of Hope. Stay with us. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The new large-scale way to commemorate Terry Fox and his Marathon of Hope. That's after weather. But first, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for a look at that forecast. Yvonne, there was a point late this afternoon where that rain was coming down really hard outside our station here in Burnaby. Yeah, and we're still seeing a few waves of rain potentially this evening with that chance for some showers and then easing off. We'll be back into some sunshine. But we do have some active weather for the southern interior, and I'll have more coming up in just a moment. Temperatures are sitting at 6. We've got a northerly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. As we take a look at the satellite and radar, a few heavier pockets, especially near Coquitlam and extending in towards the Fraser Valley, Abbotsford. Chilliwack, but that'll ease off, especially as we get in towards this evening and areas near the island. We're also seeing very windy conditions, especially for areas near Victoria, so the southern tip. Now, overnight tonight, Metro Vancouver, it does dry out. We're looking at a partly cloudy sky. It'll be on the cool side, temperatures dipping down to three, and then we've got some breaks for tomorrow. A mix of sun and cloud, pleasant with temperatures getting up to seven degrees. Now, the active weather and instability will be for the interior. It actually intensifies this evening, continues midday for tomorrow, and much of the southern Southern Interior has the potential to see some snow squalls, thunder snow rather, and very windy conditions. You want to check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. We still do have a snowfall warning for the Coquihalla, Kootenai, as well as the Rogers Pass. Those are snowfall totals, but the amounts this evening will be anywhere between 5 and up to 10 centimeters. So those are additional amounts, and along the connector and Allison Pass included within that. All areas in gray, which is much of the southern interior, this is where we do have a special weather statement. The potential for snow squalls, we could see thunderstorm, and then near that instability, the winds could pick up 40 and then gust of up to 60 kilometers per hour. And snow squalls are where we can see these intense pockets of snow, and then the potential 
potential for localized snow and limited visibility. So a heads up, that'll take us in towards our Sunday midday before it really does start to ease off. Now along the northern half of the province, we do have some showers in the mix. The northeastern corners, it's chilly with highs just into the minus 20s. It'll be colder for most areas across the province over the next few days. Central interior with a few flurries in the mix, it's higher elevations and much of the southern interior. Lots of instability this evening and continuing in towards tomorrow afternoon. So be prepared. We could see some pockets of heavier snowfall. Much of the south coast will see that rain easing off. It'll be breaks. The areas in towards the Fraser Valley could still see a bit more cloud cover with that chance for some showers. Breezy tomorrow for areas closer to the water up to 30 kilometers per hour. Rounding off our family day. Sunny, windy and over the next few days into early next week it'll be dry but we have cooler temperatures especially our overnight lows below the freezing mark. Nithu, all right, thanks so much, Yvonne. In Toronto, a new mural honoring Terry Fox will be unveiled at the University of Toronto later this summer. Members of the Fox family, along with U of T and the city, selected the design and the artist. The mural is expected to cover about eight stories of the Rehabilitation Sciences building, paying tribute to Fox and his marathon of hope for cancer research. I can't say how honored I am to be doing this. I mean, everybody knows who Terry Fox is and he embodies everything that Canada is about, you know, courage, strength, um, just he was for the people. The mural will be located along the route Fox followed into downtown Toronto on July 11th of 1980. Looks beautiful. All right, Barry's here with a preview of what's coming up in sports. Barry, what do you have for us? Well, Canucks are back home, hopefully in front of a uh, full house at Rogers Arena, take on uh, the Anaheim Ducks, one of the teams they're chasing down for that playoff spot. So we'll hear from uh, Coach Brudrow and Elias Pettersson about tonight's uh, hockey game. And what happened at the Olympics? Last day, the last day of competition already underway. Canada has a chance for one more medal, and a BC athlete has a chance to get that. So we'll fill you in when we come back. All right, thanks so much, Barry. Also ahead, employment equity improvements. You're often in a room where you're the only woman of color. The poll showing words leading to action in Canadian workplaces, how some companies are addressing racial inequality and where they could do better. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. The summer of 2020, in the wake of George Floyd's murder, brought about an awakening to systemic racial inequality and how it affects black employees in corporate Canada. According to a new survey, things have gotten a little better in some workplaces across the country. But as Anne Gaviola explains, there's still a whole lot of room for improvement. The chorus of voices demanding social justice and change as the Black Lives Matter movement gained momentum rang loud and clear in 2020. It spurred promises from major firms across Canada to do better. More than 450 CEOs signed the Black North Pledge against anti-black systemic racism, taking aim at unconscious bias and committing to the creation of truly diverse teams. 18 months later, have those words translated into action? A KPMG poll of black Canadians in early January shows nearly 70% felt their employers were making progress to create more inclusive and equitable workplaces, but 12% felt that what they were seeing was lip service, and one in five said their employer was taking no action. 
84% say they want to establish targets for hiring and promoting Black Canadians with measurable outcomes and accountability mechanisms. And the same number want to see more Black representation on boards of directors and among management. According to KPMG, addressing the complex problems requires a multifaceted approach. Working to partner with more Black businesses hiring to make sure that you are getting a diverse pool of candidates and putting in place mechanisms to help with the retention of Black employees. Polly Watkins says even though she's climbed the corporate ladder in her career, a major challenge has been imposter syndrome, despite being very qualified. You're often in a room where you're the only woman of color. You're the only person of color sometimes. And in the automotive industry, which is a very white male dominated industry. The takeaway for employers across Canada is that progress has begun, but the job is far from done. And the commitment needs to be revisited regularly, not just during Black History Month. We cannot have inclusive and diverse workforce and a welcoming environment if we don't have everybody sort of coming along on that journey. Equity in the workplace is a goal that ultimately stands to benefit all workers. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. All right, Barry's back with a full sports cast after this break. And later, the effort to have rescued dogs from Afghanistan help Canadian soldiers who fought in that country. Join Global BC. Don't miss the variety show of hearts on Global BC. Tune into Global BC's newscast on February 24th and 25th and meet some of the incredible children you've helped in 2021. Then don't miss the show of hearts telethon on February 26th, featuring special guests David Foster, Catherine McPhee, and Colin James. Learn about our connection to the magnificent orca at the Royal BC Museum exhibit Orcas Our Shared Future. Dive into the science, the currents of environmentalism, popular culture, and indigenous beliefs to gain a new appreciation of how orcas and humans are inextricably connected. Our BC is brought to you by London Drugs. Get your 2022 Pink Shirt Day merchandise now at London Drugs. All right, Barry's back for the full sports cast and starting off in the hockey world, Barry. Mm-hmm. All Canucks all yeah. the time, of course. Thanks, Nithu. The uh, late meatloaf famously saying two out of three ain't bad. For the Canucks, anything less than two wins out of every three games for the rest of the season ain't going to be good enough. Canucks have 32 games left, 64 points available. If 95 is the playoff line, Canucks need about another 43 points. Currently, Vancouver is 12th in the West, just five points back of the final playoff spot, but with four teams ahead of them, all battling for every precious point. The Ducks are one of those teams, and they provide the opposition tonight at Rogers Arena, where a full-capacity crowd is allowed for the first time in a couple of months. We need every point we can get now. I mean, there's many teams now that make an approach to because they want to make the playoffs, and so are we. Um, so uh, we can't. Uh, this time we uh, can't find a word, but like we were lucky to be able to get two points. Like we can't be uh, that sloppy. Uh, we got to play uh, full six minutes. You know, we're, we're not nowhere near that top of the mountain at this point but at least we can see the cliffs you know up there and and uh, it's just another step closer I mean in that same token they're saying the same thing they've been up there all the time they don't want to lose their perch so it should be a heck of a game 
NHL today, Oilers 4-0 under new head coach Jay Woodcroft, getting a Bruce Boudreaux effect there as well. Second period off the rush, Connor McDavid to Kyler Yamamoto. First shot stop, but roofs the rebound on Connor Hellebuck. Second assist of the game for McDavid, 2-0 Edmonton. And then the dynamic duo strikes. Check out the backhand feed from Leon Dreisaitl to McDavid, who one times his 26th of the year. His third point of the game, he's now alone atop the scoring race, and it's 3-0 Edmonton. Oilers uh, on the power play, but it's Jets defenseman. Brendan Dillon on the breakaway, stopped by Miko Koskinen, keeps it 3-0. Same power play, Jets get another shorthanded breakaway. Adam Lowry, this time though, he scores on the five-hole. Jets with some life, down 3-1, and they get even more life on a power play. Kyle Connor teeing it up, the laser one-timer. To make it 3-2, that's his 29th. It's a 3-2 hockey game, but the Oilers hang on at an empty netter. 4-2 the final, their fifth straight win. They're now just a point behind Vegas for second in the Pacific. Blues and Leafs from Toronto, where fans are back after having none allowed in Ontario for the last six weeks. 50% capacity, second period, 2-1 Blues. Leafs on the attack, William Nylander. He can shoot the puck. That's his second of the night. Rips the wrister to make it 2-2. Blues one ahead, but Leafs tie it up. T.J. Brody with the screen slapper, and it's 3-3 after two. But the Blues have had a lot of success for some reason in Toronto, and they got more of it tonight. This is the game winner, David Perron. Nice play down low to find Brandon Saad all alone in front. 4-3 at that point, and the Blues go on to beat the Maple Leafs 6-3. That one just went final. Well, it is early Sunday morning in Beijing, the final day at the Winter Olympics. Where's the time gone? Canada has one more shot at a medal in the four-man bobsled. Summerland, B.C.'s Justin Cripps is currently third after three runs. There's still one more run to come. Cripps hoping to make up for a a very disappointing showing in the two-man. He was a medal favorite but placed just 10th. Here are the medal standings. Canada, third overall with 25, third highest total ever. But those four gold medals, the lowest since 1994 in Lillehammer. In the last three Winter Olympic Games, Canada had 14, 10, and 11 gold medals respectively, but still successful games for Team Canada. Vancouver Warriors got a big win last night on the road in Calgary against the Roughnecks. Logan Schuss and Kyle Killen each scored a pair. Here's Schuss's uh, one of his on the power play. Keegan Ball has been the Warriors' top goal getter this year, and you can see why here as he just rips one into the top corner. Three goals, three assists for Ball, a six-point night, but it was a close game throughout. Warriors, though, will pull off the dramatic win. Riley Lowen with just over two minutes to play, 11-10 the final. Warriors have won three straight. They're now just a half game back of second in the West. Next home game not until March 12th against the Toronto Rock. Soccer now, English Premiership, Manchester City hosting Spurs at the Etihad. Tottenham giving the league leaders all they could handle. They scored early to take the lead, but uh, Ilke Gundogan levels in the 33rd. Spurs keeper Hugo Lloris a bit sloppy there, 1-1 at the half. Spurs go back in front at the hour mark. Son Hung Min finds Harry Kane all alone in the box. Ron uh, Guy to be left unmarked and Kane finds the back of the net. 2-1 Spurs. City tied it on a penalty in stoppage time but just three minutes later 
Harry Kane one more time. A brilliant header for a second of the match. And the Spurs, or Spurs, shocked Man City 3-2 the final, much to the delight of Liverpool supporters. Speaking of Liverpool, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane back in the fold for Liverpool, taking on doormats Norwich City. But the last place team in the EPL did lead 1-0 until Sadio Mane did this, a spectacular bicycle kick to level it 1-1. Now that is talent. And this is talent, too. Mo Salah will settle the uh, long ball, which actually came from his keeper. Look at that play. And then fantastic here as he turns the Norwich defenders into pretzels, his 150th career goal. Liverpool and Liverpool win. They're now just six points behind Man City with a game in hand. So we've got a race with about a dozen games left in the EPL season. And we'll check out third round of the Genesis Invitational from Riviera Country Club in Los Angeles. Joaquin Neiman of Chile has been scorching this very tough track. A record 16 under through two rounds. Kept it going today. A 25-footer for birdie at the seventh. Neiman stretching out his lead. And then at the short, uh, short par four tenth, after driving it just off the green, Neiman putter in hand, knocks it in for an eagle two. Got it to 21 under, a couple of late bogeys, but he still has a three-shot lead at 19 under. The tournament scoring record is minus 20. None of the five Canadians entered made the cut, including Adam Hadwin and Roger Sloan. And we'll finish with the NBA All-Star Weekend in Cleveland. Skills night. Raptors' Fred Van Vliet, just the fourth undrafted player ever to make it to an All-Star game. Van Vliet in the three-point contest. Eight players taking part. Only the top three advanced to the finals. Freddie had a bit of a slow start, finished strong, but did not make the cut into the top three. The slam dunk contest goes tonight. We'll have highlights of that at 11, and the All-Star game tips off tomorrow at 5 o'clock our time. But, of course, Canucks, Ducks tonight, highlights at 11. All right, thanks so much for that, Barry. And we'll be right back with a special effort to match rescue dogs with military members and first responders. Stay with us. Support CK and W Kids Fund Pink Shirt Day, February 23rd. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. This month, hundreds of rescued cats and dogs arrive from Afghanistan, ready for a new life in Canada. Now, some of the pooches are being prepared to be paired with their forever new human partners. Krista Dow has the latest. Good dog. This is Cassie, a Middle Eastern mixed breed pup, getting ready to head out on the next leg of her journey. She is very sweet. She's nice, she's sweet, she's just a great dog. Her soft temperament, part of why she's been chosen for a job only few animals can do. 
Cassie is one of six rescue dogs that will be paired with a military veteran or first responder who suffers from PTSD. Retrain the human to train the dog. So they have to train for a minimum of 48 weeks with us and the dog bonds and learns how to do various things like alerts the person when their uh, their anxiety's up. Oh, good shape. For veterans like Jesse Fring, the companionship with his dog Gwyn is life-changing. He's now helping train the next contingent of dogs and their owners, giving back where he can. When I was diagnosed with PTSD, I kind of lost all interest in life. And she's changed that. No. Turn. Watching people go grocery shopping without having a panic attack and leaving their grocery cart is it's great. It's always nice to see dogs be able to really live to their full potentials and their abilities moving forward in their life, especially because they do have such great therapeutic abilities. The group, part of nearly 300 dogs and cats that were rescued from Afghanistan, arriving in Canada earlier this month. About one-third still need forever homes, but organizers expect that process to move along quickly. As for Operation Freedom Paws, the six dogs will now travel to Vancouver Island where they will meet their new partner in life, starting up another so-called rescue mission. I enjoy, you know, helping people achieve what I've achieved, which is basically independence. Krista Dow, Global News. Oh, wow. They have probably been through so much. Adorable dogs. Uh, might be a good time to get your dog out for a walk before the <laughs> weather shifts. <laughs> yeah, and tomorrow and the latter half of the long weekend for our family day, things are really going to start to improve. We're still seeing some wet weather this evening. Should taper off. Some sunshine in the mix. Just a bit breezy, though, for areas that are closer to the water. Dry into next week, but a touch cooler. So a heads up. All right. Thanks so much for that, Yvonne. And thanks all for joining us. Krista Dow will be here at 11. Have a great night.